0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: So this is the beauty of the New Covenant. The New Covenant is going to be this covenant where God writes His law on the hearts and the minds of His people. Now remember, the first covenant, the law was written on stone, and you read it, and then you submitted yourself to it. But in the New Covenant, God writes those things on our heart. And he puts them in our mind.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Jeremiah chapters 31 through 35. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All
1: right, Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31 is such a great chapter. And chapter 33 is similar to it. And what we're going to see in these two chapters in particular is we're going to see this unbreakable covenant that God has with the nation despite their sin, despite their rebellion, despite the fact that he set them aside now for a couple thousand years, that covenant still is intact. And there's coming a time when the Lord is going to bring the people back together and he's going to bless them. And that's what both chapter 31 and 33 talk about. So, As we've been doing, just a quick synopsis of each chapter and then looking at some of the specific verses here. So chapter 31 speaks of the Lord's everlasting love for Israel, speaks of the new covenant, and then also of God's commitment to Israel. So let's just begin in verse 1. It says, at that time, well, back up to the very last sentence of the previous chapter, in the latter days, you will consider it. At that time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness, Israel, when I went to give him rest. And now listen to verse three. This is such a great, great word here. The Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you, with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Again, I will build you and you shall be rebuilt. O virgin of Israel, you shall again be adorned with your tambourines and you shall go forth in dances of those who rejoice. So in the latter days, so this is out ahead in the future from where we are, there's going to come that point where the Lord is going to reconcile Israel to himself and these words will be spoken to them, I have loved you with an everlasting love and therefore with loving kindness I have drawn you. And so some teach that God has set the nation of Israel aside permanently, that because of their unbelief, they've been rejected and the church has replaced them And I do not believe that that is the case. And I think as we look at the rest of this chapter and then again, the 33rd chapter, we're gonna see verses that just completely contradict that idea. But just for a moment, let's also recognize that this word, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness, I have drawn you. You know, that is also true of you and of me. It's also true of us because, of course, we are the people of God. And although this word is speaking about Israel collectively at that time when they are ultimately restored, it is the same for us, that that God has loved us. And because of his great love for us, he has drawn us to himself. And that's the reality, isn't it? Like Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I ordained you. You know, we we think in terms, from our own experience, we think in terms of I was on a quest. I was seeking God. I was looking for the truth. And And it seemed like that's what was happening. But the more we dig into scripture, we realize that that was only part of what was happening. The other part was God was drawing us. That's why we were seeking. That's why we were thirsting. That's why we were hungering. That's why we were moving in the direction that ultimately led us into a relationship with him. It's because of him and his love drawing us. And so once again, as we've been looking at these passages in Jeremiah, remember as we looked at the 29th chapter and those great verses there, we see that the, the first application is to the nation but then there's also the the more personal application to us the individual people of God and so as we go on in the chapter the Lord speaks and let me just read a few verses from verse 7 for thus says the Lord sing with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chief of the nations, proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the woman with child, and the one who labors with child together, a great throng shall return there. And so speaking of that time when God is bringing the nation back, and we might even say that to some degree that has already been fulfilled, that God has brought the Jewish people back. We know, of course, that for almost 2,000 years, the Jews were, had been ejected as a nation. They had been ejected from the land. And they wandered throughout the world and tried to settle in various places. But every time they really tried to settle and sink in roots, persecution, something would come along to to force them once again to be scattered. There's a term that has been used regarding the Jew, the wandering Jew because they wandered and wandered for all of those centuries. But, of course, we know the history. In 1948, they came back together as a nation. And since then, the Jewish people have been pouring back into the land from all different places around the world. Now today, the majority of Jews live in Israel. Just even 20 years ago, the majority of Jews still lived outside of the land The majority of Jews live in the land today. And so I think we can see in that that there is somewhat of a fulfillment, but of course there's an ultimate fulfillment that will come in the future. And so a couple of just really quick things here. I wanna get to the part about the covenant, but I just wanna point out a couple of things. He's speaking here in uh, the ninth verse. He's speaking about Israel, the northern kingdom, and he refers to them as Ephraim. And I just want you to notice this in verse nine, the end of verse nine says, and Ephraim is my firstborn. And the reason I want you to note that is because Jesus is referred to as the firstborn in different passages in the New Testament. Remember in Colossians, he is the firstborn over all creation. And Some, mostly people involved in the cults, like say the Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, they would look at that and they would say that Jesus is the firstborn in the sense that he was the first one created. So they see him as a created being. They think that firstborn means that, that he's the first in a chronological order. But what this little verse here reminds us of is that firstborn doesn't Necessarily, or have to mean firstborn in a chronological order because Ephraim was not that. Ephraim was actually him and his brother Manasseh. They were the children of Joseph. And there were, of course, the, the 12 sons of Jacob that uh, made up the, the tribes of Israel. But then Ephraim and Manasseh were grafted into that. But Ephraim became the way the northern kingdom was identified because Ephraim was a large, it was the largest tribe in the north. And so firstborn also means, and it, and often means, in the Old Testament, and it almost always means in the New Testament, first in priority or the supreme one, the, the superior one. And so that's the way it's being used here. And that's the way it is used of Jesus in the new testament so when somebody says you "No, know, jesus is a created being look right here it says he's the firstborn just know that that means that he is the supreme one not that he is the first in the order of creation so that's one thing verse 15 is another passage that i want us to look at here real quick and it says this Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. The reason I'm reading this is because this is quoted in Matthew's gospel. And it's quoted in Matthew's gospel in reference to the children that were put to death by King Herod. And Matthew uses this passage and applies it to that situation and says that that was a fulfillment of what was happening here. So lamentation and, and weeping, Rachel weeping for her children. So Rama or the area of Ramallah, this is where Rachel died. And maybe you remember the story, she died in childbirth. And so this is a reference back to that, And Jeremiah is applying it to the fact that there's going to be death and destruction upon the land. But then also, like I said, Matthew applies it to the children that were slaughtered around the time of the birth of Jesus there in Bethlehem. So that's just a little bit of a side note for us there. So look at, well, let's... Let's look at verse, oh, verse, verse 22. We need to look at verse 22 as well. Or go back to 21. Set up signposts, make landmarks, set your heart toward the highway, the way in which you went. Turn back, O virgin of Israel. Turn back to these, your cities. How long will you gad about, O you backsliding daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. Listen to that. The Lord has created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall encompass a man. This is a prophecy of the virgin birth. And it's it's a little-known prophecy of the virgin birth. It's not one that we normally point to, but this is actually what is being spoken of here. God is saying he's going to do a new thing. He's going to do something that's never been done before. And the idea that a woman woman is encompassing a man, the idea is that a woman is pregnant without the involvement of a man. So the woman encompasses a man. And of course, that is what happened. We know that Mary was a virgin. She did not have relationships with a man, but the Holy Spirit came upon her and the child Jesus was produced by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. And so again, just interesting little tidbits here in Jeremiah 31. But let's look at verse 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, they shall again use this speech in the land of Judah and in its cities when I bring back their captivity. The Lord bless you, O home of justice and mountain of holiness. So again, looking forward to the time when Israel is completely restored and the home of justice and the mountain of holiness. Now, verse 31, here's the, the key passage here. Easy to remember, Jeremiah 31, 31. And this is the great prophecy of the new covenant. And this passage right here is also found in Hebrews chapter eight. So the author to the Hebrews takes this directly from Jeremiah and he quotes it word for word in the eighth chapter, speaking about, of course, the new covenant. So listen to what it says. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. So here the Lord is saying through Jeremiah, I'm going to make a new covenant. Not, It's not the covenant that I made with them when I led them out of Egypt. So Jeremiah is prophesying that the mosaic covenant is going to pass it's going to become obsolete that's the way the writer to hebrews puts it and there's going to be a new covenant now the thing that's really interesting is that to this very day the jews are still bound to the first covenant they still hold on to the first covenant They still look to Moses as their savior in a sense. And failing to, even to this very day, to recognize that there is a new covenant that God is making. And again, the letter to the Hebrews expounds on this so beautifully and so powerfully. I've often wondered, and I've even suggested at times to Jewish people Read the book of Hebrews. I don't know how anybody could read the book of Hebrews and not see clearly that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament promises. And so he goes on in verse 33, he says, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest says the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. So this is the beauty of the new covenant. The new covenant is going to be this covenant where God writes his law on the hearts and the minds of his people. Now remember, the first covenant, the law was written on stone. And you read it, and then you submitted yourself to it. But in the new covenant, God writes those things on our heart. And he, he puts them in our mind. And so it's no longer this external thing that I'm trying to abide by, but this is now living inside of me. It's like Paul said to the Philippians, God works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. He puts his law in our heart and our mind. That's It's there now to will. The desire is there, and then he gives us the power to do it. Now, the thing that is so important to see here is the personal nature of this. Now, there aren't people today who talk about the need to get away from just thinking in, in terms of, of ourselves personally and our personal relationship with God. We need to recognize that there's a collective component, that we are part of a body, we're part of a community. And so there's, a, there's an effort to sort of de-emphasize the, the personal side of it. I, I understand what they're trying to do, but I think, that they're, I, I think that they end up sometimes making it an either or rather than a both and. So yes, we need to move away from individualism where I just see myself and God and doesn't matter what else is going on around me. It's just about me and my relationship with God. That becomes an individualistic self-centered kind of a thing. And no, we don't want to be there. But on the other hand, we don't want to get in this idea either of this collectivism to the point that I'm just, you know, one of many faces in a crowd. And I don't really have any personal access to God. And, And sometimes that's what happens when people start arguing these things theologically. And the truth is, it's both things. It's both. We are... Uh, Yes, we're part of a body. And I can't just think in terms of, well, it's just me and God and I'm just doing my thing with God. I don't need the church. Why do I need to go to church? I got my personal relationship with God. I don't need to be taught the Bible. I just open and read it myself because it's all about me and God. We don't want to do that. But on the other hand, we don't want to deny or miss this beautiful thing, this chief feature of the new covenant is that everyone does know me from the least to the greatest. You see, in the Old Testament, it wasn't that way. In the Old Testament, you had a priesthood, you had sacrifices, you had all of these things that stood between the worshiper and God. And you had people in Old Testament history that had sort of these, you know, more public and extraordinary experiences with God, but that wasn't the case with the average person. A person was part of the covenant and all of that but there wasn't that intimacy, that is what we have in Christ. And so we never want to lose that for a moment. We always want to to live in that realm of, I know the Lord and he knows me and I, I speak with him and I pour out my heart Before him, and I come to him with my burdens, and I come to him with my sins, and I can go right to him, and I can confess, and he forgives me, and he comforts me, and all of that's the beauty of the new covenant. All shall know me from the least to the greatest. And of course, this is what Jesus was talking about on the night when he was there with his disciples having that supper that we commonly call the Last Supper. And remember, he took the bread and he broke it. He took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So Jesus, he inaugurated the new covenant. Now, the thing is though, the vast majority of the nation has not entered into the covenant. And the Gentiles who were not the people of God have actually been brought into the relationship with God that he intended for the nation and will bring about for them in the future. That's what the prophecy is really about here. But it had its initial fulfillment at the coming of Jesus, but then the nation at large rejected him, And the gospel went out to the rest of the world. And so we have entered in before Israel. We've entered into this new covenant. And as we see here, it's also, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more.
0: And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. An important aspect of the Christian life is
1: understanding that we are in a spiritual battle. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, the Apostle Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 6, but we are in a war against these principalities and powers, against these spiritual beings. And so I've written a book, that was at one time entitled Spiritual Warfare, but in the updated version, I changed the title to The Powers of Darkness and the People of God. And I think this is such an important book. So many of us go about experiencing the, what is really the attack of, of the devil, but we don't even realize that that's what's going on. So this book will inform you not only of how to detect when the enemy is at work, but also of how to combat the various schemes of the enemy to mess with us and to undermine our faith and to just basically make our lives miserable. So I want to encourage you to pick up a copy of The Powers of Darkness and the People of God.
0: Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Brian Broderson. You can order the book The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Brian Broderson. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah.